0: Hello, and welcome to For Your Listening Pleasure, a podcast focused on talking with interesting and diverse individuals and discussing how their backgrounds shape them into the people they are today. I am your host, Mallory Waxman. Today on the podcast, I am honored to be welcoming Peloton instructor, Sam Yo. As a first-generation kid growing up in London, Sam was always interested in his Thai-Chinese heritage and saw monks as a place to draw that cultural knowledge from. This interest ultimately led him to step away from his career on the West End stage and travel to Thailand to become a Buddhist monk. That experience helped Sam understand more about himself the power of silence, and the importance of showing up with positivity, all of which he took into his next career as a fitness instructor. And after eight years of teaching spin classes around London, he received a message from Peloton, and I guess you can say the rest is history. Sam is known for the nurturing and supportive atmosphere he creates on the bike, along with the amazing playlists and nuggets of wisdom throughout class. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did, and check out Sam Yo's classes on Peloton. Samio, I am so excited to be welcoming you to the For Your Listening Pleasure podcast. When I was preparing for this interview, I thought it was so fascinating that you've always really been in fitness. Before it was football, you did mm-hmm. uh, Muay Thai, and then you also did dance, ballet, and contemporary. How did that work growing up? Have, did your parents encourage you or did you just kind of find it with your mates?
1: So I got into dance through like one of my best, best friends. Um he was studying drama and I was studying drama and he started doing like dance lessons and you know we grown up together, we played football, we, we we did taekwondo and muay thai together. And um I popped into one of his dance lessons and I I loved it. I've always loved like dance and you know I it was one of my things as a kid to always be in a boy band and be like have synchronized dancing in a group um so i started dancing with him in this group um like once a week and then i auditioned for a uh drama school which had dance in it which was great so it, that's kind of my introduction into ballet so that's when i first started in my ballet uh classes and ballet lessons and jazz lessons and from that i auditioned for um a school called the Laban center which is one of the biggest contemporary schools in Europe and I auditioned for them like not really thinking that I would get in I, I you know I, I, I'll i try because I knew the standard was very high and I, I got offered a place and a scholarship so I thought oh wow they they must they must see something in me um that I I'm you know I don't see yet. and you know I studied there for about three three four years yeah yeah
0: what I thought was fascinating is you auditioned. You didn't think, oh, this is what I want to do. When you hear people who want to go on stage, that's been their dream since they were five. For you, it mm-hmm. just kind of happened naturally. And you're like, yeah, they clearly see something in me that maybe I don't see. And you gave it a mm-hmm. go. How did that end up leading you to being on the West End? Because that is similar to Broadway for us. It's yeah, it's one in a million to get there. And you got there.
1: So when I started dancing, I I just, I, I did it purely for the love of it. I love movement, learning about movement. And that's, you know, that's how I got into martial arts was, was I was just fascinated by what people could do with their bodies with, with training and discipline and the same with dance. And um, so when I was in uh, Laban, the last term I auditioned for um, The King and I, which was at the London Palladium, It was, I think it was 19, 1999 was when I auditioned for it. And not like I'm thinking I was gonna get in or anything because, you know, at the time I was very contemporary, very kind of, you know, very kind of artistic in that sense. And I got it. And, you know, it kind of opened me to this whole other side of performing. You know, I've always loved musicals and I've always watched musicals. My first musical I ever watched, was Starlight Express and, uh, you know, it been in Greece, fame. So I always loved it, but I never really thought that that was something that I was kind of capable of doing. And then once again, it was just kind of taking a risk and trusting my instincts and kind of putting myself on the line and going to this audition with all these other people who had trained in musical theatre. I was from, you know, the very contemporary side. And getting offered got offered a you know a place in there as as one of the ensemble, one of the chorus the dancers, uh, the first year, and then in the second year I auditioned for one of the the roles, one of the speaking roles. So um, the role I auditioned for it was it was supposed to be played by someone who was much older, like in their forties, 40s, forties uh, 40s to fifties, and I was twenty at the time. And I kind of approached it in my own way, and I and I had. This drama training behind me uh, and they really loved what I did with the role they said oh we never saw the role like that um we're gonna offer you the part so I went from a dancer in the first year to having this you know this, this small part in the in the second year and, and once again it was just it was just trust my instinct and um just taking that risk and you know and it's you know I'm always very grateful that you know, I've had people who have believed in me. And, and when you're younger as well, you know, we kind of need that. You need people to believe in you and, and, and you know, and kind of feel that they're in the corner and they've got your back. Because, you know, in the acting industry, you know, we can get a lot of rejection from a lot of uh, auditions and, you know, um agents and um opportunities as well. So I was you know, very, very fortunate for that.
0: As being first generation, what did your parents think when they came and saw you perform? Do you remember that?
1: Uh, yeah, my 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 parents were really really um, encouraging, really encouraging. They 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 always kind of instilled in me if 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 you know if you're happy with what you're doing and if you can earn a living from it and it's not kind of harming anyone else, you know, pursue it. Um, you know, they they always they, they always trusted me to have you know my head on my shoulders and have this kind of focus. Um, even when I did start going to dance, my dad said, "For a while, I wasn't sure where this was going, son." <laughs> but <laughs> but you kind of seem to have found your way, and you know, and you know, my parents. There's a lot of trust from my parents. Um, I'm very lucky as well. You know, they didn't say, "Oh, you should do this, you should do that." You know, you should be doing more. You know, you know studying for you know more academic things I think they they, especially my dad He saw that I was quite a very physically expressive person um it's like on the football pitch to the martial arts to the dance and and, and into fitness as well so when I did tell them I was starting to do fitness he, he he just thought it was a very natural progression
0: and from my understanding you were auditioning you were doing a lot like in the west end but then you kind of decided to go and e- explore your roots in your culture can before we dive into you going to the monastery what was it like growing up as like being someone with a uh, Thai heritage like in England did that play a big role in your upbringing
1: uh yes it exactly. did you know I you know like with any first generation uh child, you know, you're kind of walking the line between these two worlds in the middle. And you know, you don't you don't quite belong to one and you don't quite belong to the other. And you're kind of constantly reminded as well. So like even when I went to Thailand and I they they would see that I my Thai accent is very different. And they say, oh, are you English? or you know and I would sort of look slightly like different to everyone else. And and so when I'm I'm in, you know, in London as well, you know, they, you know, people, the people's perspectives of you are from their perspective. And, you know, it can be sometimes very damaging as well when you're younger. But, you know, I was very fortunate to have a very strong and strong friendship group. So a lot of my friendship groups, there were a, a lot of us kids were all first generation. So we're kind of all going through the same thing. You know, one of my friends, he was Ghanaian, first generation. Another friend, he was uh, from India, first generation. I had another friend, he was half Chinese and he was it's half English, half Irish. So we're all kind of kind of discovering ourselves at the same time. I was, I was very lucky, and I, you know, I'm still very close to all of them.
0: What made you decide to go to the monastery? Because I believe originally you were thinking you would be there for a month, and you stayed mm. a lot longer. What when did you start to get that idea in your head?
1: So when I grew up, was growing up, I went to Sunday school every Sunday at a temple at Wimbledon in London. So it's, it's a beautiful temple. And um, the monks used to, to teach me there. So every Sunday I'll go there and the monks used to teach me there and uh, the parents would go there and the parents would catch up. And, you know, that was my only, you know, I would. I would, you know, be very English six days a week and my Thai side would only come up that afternoon, that day. And, um, you know, I had a lot of questions and sometimes I would be doing traditional things at the temple, but I would have no idea why I was doing it. And, you know, I would never ask. I would just go for the motions, do it. Um, and, you know, the monks there, they were, you know, a source of information. People looked up to them and I and I always... Connected that experience and being taught by monks to my heritage. And I always felt like if I kind of needed to know more, I would I would have to kind of go down that route, you know, either study it or, you know, maybe become a monk. But this is when I was like 12, I think, 12, 10. I, I kind of, that was the seed was planted then. And then when I was 22, 23, that was when I kind of thought, okay. I had this break in between. I, I, I finished a show and I, I, I didn't have anything to do. I was going back on the audition circuit, and you know, and I was in the industry there for like three years. And I thought, you know, it, anyone who knows who's been in the industry, it's, it can be very, very heavy, and there's a lot going on, and it's, it can be very chaotic. So I kind of thought I, I needed a break, and I, I just felt that like it was time that I kind of invested a bit more in in me and my 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 growth. And it was so funny. I I told my parents like, oh you know, oh next month I've I've decided to go back to Thailand to be a monk. And i like what?
0: <laughs> yeah, because what do they think? I know your mom like stayed for the first month mm. you were there because she was afraid yeah. you weren't going to eat enough, which yeah. I thought was so adorable. That's so profound. In my mind, that at that young of age, like you thought, I need to take a step back. I need to realign my values and my purpose. One thing I also learned when doing this is that they shave your hair and your eyebrows. When And you weren't aware of that. What else was kind of like the shock when you first arrived?
1: So, yeah, they, they shave your, I knew they shave your hair and your eyebrows, but my hair at the time was, 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 short was it was a little longer than this so so what happens first is is you sit there and like elders come like like your parents your grandparents and elders of the, the village and they they cut a bit of your hair out and they put it in a bowl so it's like a very kind of thankful kind of grateful thing but because my hair was so short what was happening was they were, they were people had to kind of pull it and pinch it because it was so short to try and even cut a tiny bit off um i remember that. i was like oh my gosh and it was like a long line of like 20, 30 people waiting to do that. Um, and I should have thought I should have, grew, uh, should have grown my hair before this. Um, but that was that was one thing I remember just sitting there and people just trying to get a, a tiny bit of hair just to kind of snip it off. Um, and I, di- I didn't realize that monks shave their eyebrows, even though I'd been around them for so long. It, it just didn't occur to me when I was would speak to them. And... So after, some all the elders and stuff would kind of cut your hair. Then the monks would come and they'll they'll wash your hair and then they'll they'll shave start to shave it. So I remember the monks shaving it and the water kind of on my on my face. And then he I felt like he he just shaved my eyebrows. Like what did he just shave my eyebrow? I thought oh my God he did. And then he shaved the other side. And so that was when I first realized that they they shave their eyebrows was when it was actually happening to me. Um is that symbolic as someone who like does not know that it's just it's just to kind of strip that vanity that vanity side
0: and then when you decide to do this is there like an orientation do you decide hey i'm going to do this for x amount of time because i do not know this part of the podcast is learning about other cultures and experiences what how do you do you sign up like how do you learn about this if there was someone who this spoke to them like what were those steps
1: so there's like a, a two a three-day ceremony so there's a three-day ceremony where you know you you invite people to the home and um the monks come and you first of all you kind of give 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 um thanks to your parents it's like you give thanks to your parents and they get merits and you know. Um. And then the monks come and they, they do prayers and stuff and so the first day is just that it's kind of cleansing the body and the spirit um and then the second the second day is when we, we we kind of go to the temple so we, we we take like a it's like a it's like a like a mini carnival of of, of family and we, we kind of all walk to the to the temple and um when i was going to the temple um, this guy picked me up on his shoulders because uh, it's, it's traditional for some one of the elders to kind of pick you up and, and take you to the temple. And the temple's maybe about a mile. Um, so this r- random guy kind of picked me up, put me on his shoulders, and walked with me in this kind of little carnival of my family and, and friends all the way to the temple. Um, and I ne- I've never seen him since. I've never seen this guy since, and it was just he he wanted to kind of get the merit and the, the good fortune uh, from from the carnival and, um, and just the occasion. And it's so funny. I've never seen him since.
0: That's so amazing that like that one person, because I'm watching you describe the story and tell it, and you could probably imagine and visualize what he looks like in this person will always be an important figure in your life during that mm. experience but mm. you've never seen them again it's weird how people come into your life yeah. for certain reasons and then you never see them again
1: yeah it was it was it was just like cuz it was just so out of the blue and and um and he you he me there and he said he said it's okay we're going to go to the temple and you got to think it's a mile in the humidity of thailand as well about a mile it's a strong Um, guy yeah it's a strong guy because it's normally kinds of they they would either the family would either put you on like a a pickup truck sometimes and and put a chair and then you sit on the chair um but the old old tradition is is, it's someone in the family would would pick you up and take you and because um my my family in China they're a bit older so they couldn't do that And, and they were thinking about put me in this pickup truck in the chair so it's, it's kind of parading you like, oh my god you know our, our son's gonna become a monk and that. um but this guy just picked me up on his shoulders
0: I love that but your parents knew like you probably were not going to stay there for the rest of your life that this was something you kind of had to go through and sometimes in order to understand your future you need to really understand your past and where you mm-hmm. came from yeah. um and it sounds like that was a little bit of this experience, or did mm-hmm. you have it in your mind to think like, I I would be good staying here for the rest of my life?
1: No, I that 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 was that was in in my in my my mindset, my thoughts, because because originally I, I told my mom, I, 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 you know, I'll, I'll I'll be here probably for about a month, uh, and that's why she stayed for in Thailand for a month because my 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 family's house is about like a mile away, so it wasn't too far. Uh, and she was just there to make sure I did, like I said, starve to death, because um, she knows I'm not great with spicy food. And um, so she was always there in in the mornings to keep offering to make sure that I had I, the stuff that I could eat. Um, but then, you know, after after the first, well, coming towards the end of the third month, I said, I'm going to stay a bit longer. Um, and by that time, she wasn't so worried because I kind of adapted to the life and she could see that I, I had a, a lot of. Um, of the, the the monks in the temple who were kind of helping me because they knew that you know I would come over from England and you know I, I didn't quite get what was going on and you know some of my tie my tie my, my is very conversational but there was a lot of traditional words and stuff that I used. So there's a lot of people guiding me on on that path as well. And it w- it was so funny because I'd be daily surrounded by people who some of them have been in the monastery like 50 years, uh, 50 years, and these, these individuals would be so fascinated with me because I come from a Western environment now. They had so many questions of what it was like and you know the, the things I would do. And I was just fascinated by them as well as, as, of being in the temple for 50 years and, and that journey they'd taken. And they were fascinated by my journey of just being in London um, so it was always like, so my days were, it was always a transaction of, of, of experiences and information and knowledge of each other. And that, that was one of the things I loved about it as well as I learned so, so much just by, just by hearing other people's stories, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I do. That's what this podcast is really mm-hmm. about. Looking back at your time, what are some lessons that you really learned that you still use today
1: so one of the biggest lessons is always is to is to try and listen because we we're always waiting to talk um we're always waiting to talk that's one of the biggest lessons and one of the other lessons is that you know you we we always have growth in us our experiences our moments that's all moments of growth and you know two people can experience some the same thing but it's it's how you look at that moment just one person can take it away in a positive one person can take it away in a negative so it's always looking at, at moments in a positive light um that was one of the things especially that's my mental said so just always look for the positive and there's like a story i, I told before was when i cut my foot walking uh in my rounds and my bare feet and You know, I looked at the negative. I was like, well, can I not go as far tomorrow? And can I wear shoes? And he said, well, just tomorrow, just go to where you need to go, but just take a different path. You know, he he was always looking at the positives. That was really, 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 very refreshing. Well,
0: it's funny because I see you're wearing a Ravenclaw shirt and I know you're a Harry Potter fan, but you talking about that makes me think of that quote that Dumbledore says that even in the darkness, you can always find the light. You just have to ask. And so I think that's so fitting. When you came back from the monastery, what was that experience like? Because I would think you were very peaceful and tranquil and quiet. And now Mm -hmm. to go back to London and kind of that hustle mindset, trying to get auditions, was that hard?
1: So I I remember like like, because i when i when I came out of the monastery, i was I was in Thailand for about another week or so, a week or two weeks. And mm, I remember my my cousin taking me to the shopping mall just to get some food in that. And I just remember it was so loud. It was just so loud. Everything was just so loud. Um, and I just really noticed that a lot of people talked to each other. It was like one person would say something and another person would say something, but then it was like they're always trying to kind of I don't know it was kind of trying to talk what the other person was saying um, because in the monastery everything was very was very calm like you would you would finish your phrase, there'll be a pause because um, the person opposite of you took a second to kind of really sinking what you'd said to them and then they would speak. So everything was very fast and very loud when I remember when it came out. And um, when I when I went back to England, um, there was there was a job which um, was offered to me in the theatre. And I remember sort of taking the job and being a bit sort of, you know, oh, can I still do this? Because I've been so far removed from this world. And um, when I... Got the job. I I found that I was I was better. I had a, a different frame of mind of approaching to it. You know, I, I I remember really kind of soaking everything in, especially in the rehearsals. What what, what the director, what the choreographer was, was telling me, I was really really soaking it in. Um, and I, I think it it made me work better with people as well. You know, I felt like I had that job. I had better relationships with with my colleagues. And one of my friends who was in it, he, because my eyebrows hadn't grown back yet. So, like the first week or two, he had to pencil my eyebrows in um, for the shows. That was quite funny.
0: (laughs) It seems like what you experienced and what you learned should be a master class that everyone should have to take because it's emotional intelligence, Mm -hmm. it's responsive listening versus like listening to respond. It's more active listening. Mm -hmm. And just also, Even when you're like, we're always trying to one-up each other, talk louder than the other person, but you're losing that message of what someone's trying to actually tell you. Mm -hmm. I wish that we had that kind of class or it was taught in schools where you did get to learn more about how to listen to others or take it in before automatically responding.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. It's. It's just that. It's just patience. It's. It's patience with yourself and patience with others. Um, and I, I think sort of the world. The world the world is now, it, everything's so fast, and we kind of. It, it's kind of conditioned us to not have that patience because everything, you know, is at a touch of a button now. You know, if food and everything is at a touch of a button. So it, it's kind of realizing you need patience. And it's not slowing you down it, it the patience the the silences, the the little gaps are are the bits where you can refine and define what you're going to say or you know how you're going to come across to someone um i think that yeah it's it, it's uh it sounds very simple doesn't it <laughs> i know
0: but when you know you're yeah. trying to get a website to download and you're like oh it's taking forever it's really not it's taking an extra few seconds but we're so used to getting something on demand um, yeah. but that is something I've been practicing more is trying to be more in the moment and mm. trying to just you know if it's taking longer look up at the sky look at where you are mm. breathe a little deeper but-, but even
1: like the content as well like content I, I love movies I, knew, I used to love going to the to, uh, Friday night to the video store and you know like content now is, is just there and like tonight is I look forward to Mondays because the, the the new house of dragon episode comes out and and you know it's such a good feeling to, to feel like you have something to look forward to and and it makes it even more special monday night you know and you know because we have everything we normally have 10 episodes at once and you kind of binge watch it all at once which which is you no know, it's great to some extent but
0: it's yeah. worse, actually, because I am a championship, could win a gold medal in binge watching. I will <laughs> sit and watch all 10 episodes. But then I think back, I need to rewatch it because was I really like paying attention? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Whereas
0: like, shout out to HBO. Thank you. Please do keep going weekly because mm. I pick up on those small details. It's something yeah. to look forward to versus with Netflix. You know, they drop a show. It's 10 mm. episodes. And I'm like, don't talk to me for the day. But how yeah. much did I really absorb? Not that much.
1: That's the thing is that it's kind of having that patience as well to wait for a week. Um, but yeah, I mean, let's you know, really looking forward to Monday nights. This is, this is, this is, you know, yeah.
0: Yeah. We get it in on Sunday nights, but I yeah. have not watched the episode. I just didn't have time last night. So I'll be watching it tonight as well when you are, <laughs> I'm sure. So you were on the West end, but then you start to, st- get some certifications around fitness and start hmm. teaching. And I think from my understanding, you got to the point where you're, you were just tired of the hustle, the rejection, the, am I doing this? As well as you were kind of getting um, stereotyped for roles. So there hmm. weren't as many options. And after a while, I'm sure that had to like wear you down a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, it did. I mean, over the course of years, it definitely did. Um, but, you know, as I got older, you know, I, I was able to kind of try and take more control of that. Um, I think for any of actors or performers um, listening, it, it's the sense of control that we feel that we never have. Uh, and that's the thing with fitness. I felt it gave me a bit more control of what I wanted to do. Um, it's funny because when I came back from the monastery um, and when I first started to exercise again and work out, I was in the, I was in the gym. It was like I think it was four o'clock in the afternoon. I, I don't, I don't know why I remember but it. it was four o'clock in the afternoon, and I was just about to do my set. I was like, oh, "Why don't I just get qualified to do this?" Because I enjoy this, and you know, and I've been doing it before, but I never really thought of it, you know. And I think, I think the experience of the monastery kind of made me kind of look ahead, uh, and 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 you know. And literally, I, you know, started to do my different certificates and got qualified. And, you know, 12 years later, you know, Peloton picked me up just because I was sitting there on the gym bench at four o'clock thinking, I should just get qualified to this. I'm always here. I enjoy this. You know, it it gives me joy. And I I love talking to people. I I love helping people. And, and, you know, uh, yeah, it was just so it was just, yeah, I remember just sitting there just before my next set and four o'clock and yeah it just it just came to me yeah but, um,
0: that was yeah. that moment that shifted something in your brain and yeah. it's it's interesting because people always say do what you love mm. and successful follow and you you led with that
1: yeah yeah and um you know with the entertainment industry as well you know I, I've done I think I've done about three or four shows in the West End like Tony Walgreens shows I've done plays and, very lucky to do some some TV and film as well, but it, it it was a case of that everything was very the same. The roles were very limited, um, just because you know the people are writing the roles. They, they you know they're they're brilliant, but, but they they don't have this perspective of you know a minority or the of of the character that I will be going up for, and and sometimes they would write a character specifically because they're a minority, do you see what I mean? Rather than a character who is from somewhere. So that they, they would e- either not have any idea or just leave with that. And that's all That's all the character, that's that's the whole purpose of the character. Um, and I was getting a lot of those, a lot of those. Um, you know, I've always said, like, I think I've auditioned for like four or five different ninjas and <laughs> all the time. Um, and, and with the West End as well, especially with the West End, you know, there, there are a limited amount of shows which which we've had like um, Asian cast or Asian leads back in then, back in the day as well. And it wasn't so kind of, as they call kind of colorblind casting, we'll just cast someone who who's good for the role. It was more someone who looked great for the role. Um, and I I got a lot of, you know, there's a lot of shows that I wanted to go out for, but I was never seen for. I know it's it's very different now. You know, the the world has changed. Since I since I quit acting, the world has changed. (laughs) There's more opportunity, but you know, which is great. You know, and we see a lot more, you know, diverse casting. We see uh, you know on on our screens or on our stage. You know, like like shows like Hamilton is is a prime example. You know, of of taking something which you know a story about one of the founding forefathers. And then adding the layer of hip hop and rap and R and B and then having it being told by a diverse cast. It, you know, it's it's you know if, if you pitched that probably like 15 years ago, people would be going, what are you talking about? You know, but
0: like he yeah. doesn't look like George Washington. He can't play George Washington like exactly. yeah. but I think that really shows why representation both like on stage and those who are writing producing directing really matters mm. as well mm. so it was I think a lot of people think for you it's like oh you're on the west end and then you went to Peloton but there was mm. a like a good decade in between mm. the two but yeah. can you talk about what your experience for auditioning for Peloton was like I understand it's a like almost six months from when they yeah. first reached out to when it actually happened.
1: Yeah. So um, I, I was, I was kind of doing a few shows and film stuff, but I kind of, I, I did feel like I enjoyed the fitness side much more. So I, I started to do what a lot of actors would never do was to turn down jobs and turn down auditions because I didn't really like the role. I didn't see any growth of it. And, or it was literally the same thing over and over again. So I was kind of stepping back more, trying to take more control and then just really embracing my love for fitness. And, you know, the the fitness side and teaching people and um, constantly learning more skills, that really kept me sane in in, in a time where, you know, sometimes as a working if you're not working, you're panicking because, you know, sometimes we attach our worth to the job you know, so it was its kind of breaking that mold in, in my mindset as well. It's it it attaching my worth to, to something I, I want to do, uh, and that, that gives me joy. So, you know, I was teaching classes all around London, and, you know, I was teaching in some of, like, the best top places in London, and it got to a point where I was teaching about 20 classes, 20-so 20 classes a week. Um. I know you think it's a lot but it is a lot but the things I I built up that so I can kind of condition my body and so literally four days of the week I was so strict so I only teach four days of the week so Crown those 20 classes the four days a week so everything was scheduled like the time I got up the time I'd eat the classes and uh when I have a break when I would do, have a a a 45 minute nap um so the first four days of the week was like that, I and mean, then I had three days off to recover. Um, so as I was kind of doing that, um, what I didn't know was that um, someone at Peloton had come into my one of my classes, and they they liked my classes, and they were looking for someone in London and in uh, in London and in America. So they were kind of doing this kind of, you know, just testing out, see what the talent was like. Um so then the funny thing is I got a job offer from a big um fitness company to be like a manager and at the same time I got a job offer to to go on tour in a show. So I had the instinct that you know I, I didn't want to do the tour because I felt it was it was I just didn't feel it anymore, and I the manager was great, but it just wasn't it just wasn't for me. There was something about it. I couldn't pick my finger at right. it. It just wasn't for me. So I, I I kind of trusted my gut and I turned down these two amazing opportunities, uh, and was just doing what I was doing, teaching, and I know because my producer said so he came to one of my classes at 6.30 in the morning on a Wednesday. And that's when the first time he, he'd seen me and he really like, loved what I was doing. Um, if I'd even taken either one of those jobs, I would not have been in that studio at 6.30 in the morning. I would have been somewhere else. So just, I think just trusting my instinct, even though it, it was such a scary thing to do, um, put me in that studio at 6.30 so my juice was was there um, and I was actually covering a class as well it wasn't actually my class I was covering someone else's class um, so it's all these things these kind of dominoes that had to be put in place so in
0: the Jewish religion there's something the term beshert which mm-hmm. means meant to be and when you're speaking right now I'm thinking from that four o'clock set in the gym to you deciding not to take those two other jobs subbing that one class it's that's what just came to mind is that word beshared which means Mm -hmm. it was all meant to be
1: yeah so yeah so it was that he told me that's when he first saw me um and then i got i got a message on my instagram from um pete who's the vp in of europe and um i i I hadn't checked i wasn't everyone on social media so i never i didn't check it for like a month so um, when I did finally check it I had to kind of check out who it was I, I wasn't aware who Peloton were because they were just in America at the time so I did a bit of research and he just said that you know we come to class if you love what you do um you know would you mind having a coffee we can, and he could explain you know what the opportunity would be and so the, the the 10 15 minute coffee turned into like a two-hour chat um but he was Pete was lovely he's such a lovely guy he's he's, he's well I love him. he's so calm and he's so patient so we kind of kind of hit it off and he was telling me you know apparently we're looking for you know two instructors in the UK to be in the UK but we're looking in America as well um, would you want to come in and just um, do an interview with um, the producer uh, which was the guy who came to my class so I, I said, yeah, sure, I'll come in for an interview. And I, I thought it was just a normal interview, you know, in the room, on the desk. So I was chatting to Anthony, who's the producer. I said, oh, can we, can we put this on camera? I said, sure, yeah, we'll put it on camera. And then, oh, can you get on the bike and do it? So I had to sit on the bike and they filmed me. And he was, he's in the background. He's interviewing me. So, you know, they just wanted to see how I was, I was on camera and, you know, how I reacted to the questions. And, um, you know, thank, thank God that i've been used to kind of auditions and going into a room and just like you know just switching it on um because i know a lot a lot of people they were really freaked out but but it was just literally like i was going to an acting audition you know you go there you meet someone and then you kind of you've got to be you know 100 you know your a game straight away and i was you know t- having these conversations with the camera and then he goes that was really good thanks um can you teach a A a song. I was like, oh, okay. So he literally put me on the spot. I said, can you teach a song? Just show us how you teach. Because he went to to America. Um, So, you know, uh, everyone knows the story. I, you know, I chose um, Bon Jovi, Living on the Prayer, uh, a song which I know like the back of my hand. And I I, I I taught this kind of one song and I was just, I had no idea. It must have been terrible, but they just went to see how I would interact and how, how musical I was. So I said, okay, thanks, and then he said, oh, you know, thanks for coming in, you know, and we'll, we'll be in touch. So then, over the course of, I think it was four, or five months, you know, I would, I would go back and I would, I would do a bit more, and they'll send it off to America, and then I would have interviews with, with you know, people in, in America, like I had interviews with like Robin and Cody and all, all, all the big ones in, um, the states. And it was I think July. So they they approached me in February and it was in July that they said, Oh, you know, we would love you to come for you to come on board. And I signed my contract and I started my contract in August. And it's been just over three years now.
0: But it had to be really quiet, right? Because yeah. people want to find out who might be coming on. And so it's like super secretive. But I believe it was announced on November 11th and then Mm -hmm. you taught your first live class on November 13th. What was that experience like?
1: So the hiding was funny because for me it was like because because I didn't know like the the brand in America I always I knew the brand in, in in the UK and at that time we were very small you know you know it was we, we, they were working in like a, an office in op, Office Street. And um, it was very small. It was a very small operation. And all the times I would go in there, you know, I would go in there and Ben and Leanne would be there. And, and I would just chat to Ben and Leanne. And they're they the best. They would just give me pointers and stuff, you know, you know, just be yourself, you know, just relax and do this. And so it was very kind of very intimate, very kind of, okay. And, you know, it wasn't until I went to America that I saw how big the operation was. I was like, "Oh wow, this is pretty huge." Um, and I know, like, they, there's people always trying to find out who the next peloton instructor were. So we we couldn't really um, say we were instructors or training. And they kind of had to. They had to. I had to do my training at the tread studio, not the cycling studio. Um, and I was in. I was in Tunde's and Kendall's premier ride. I was actually I did their class so I was actually in their class um so with all the instructors and everyone and then like (laughs) I remember like they all took pictures pictures afterwards and I had to go downstairs because I I couldn't be there I was like oh
0: (laughs) it's so funny that yeah because you know um, I have to go to New York quite a bit for work and every time I'm there I'm always like walking past the Peloton Studios Hudson Yards and There's Mm -hmm. always people outside of there kind Mm -hmm. of trying to, I think, look, or maybe they're coming from classes, but so you've been there now for three years. I love your classes. I have found them to be so relaxing, but yet challenging. You're Mm -hmm. not the kind of instructor that is like yelling and like, come on, sometimes we need that. We all need that sometimes, but what Mm -hmm. I love about you is that no matter what, I'm feeling if it's like a great day or not,
1: Mm. I still
0: feel so accomplished when I get off the bike because you make me feel like you showed up, you did your best, you're here for you. Um, You definitely can see where your past as a monk shines through and comes through the screen without a doubt. Like it's like we're having a conversation, even though, you know, you're Mm. talking to thousands of people during the classes, What has that experience been like to you? Because you weren't really so much on social media, and now you're Mm -hmm. kind of like a celebrity in your own right. Do you feel that weight or that pressure sometimes?
1: Um, I think if I overthink about it, it can can feel like that. But I mean, I I feel very lucky um, because, you know, from my perspective, the skill set I have now for Peloton, you know, you know, being able to engage. Uh, you know my my technical training you know the musicality all these skills I had before Peloton so the only thing that's changed for me is that now I'm seen you see so and I kind of think you know I was like kind of like this before and now I'm seen you know and you know it's lovely how people think you know you're so inspirational and you're helping me that do this and that so you know so in my head I think you know Everybody is inspirational. Everyone is exceptional. You just you just got to give people a chance to be seen. You just got people give a chance to be heard. That that's that's really that's all that's changed for me is that I'm now seen and heard. Um, you know, and I, I I still think I'm the same person I was three years ago. But that's that's the big thing that's changed for me. Um and and it's it's lovely to feel seen and heard, and you know, and I love talking to members when members come to the Studio or when they wait outside, I, 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 I'm, you know, I wanna, I wanna know where they're from. I wanna know what they've done. I wanna know, you know, what they had for breakfast and where they're going. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's having that connection and and kind of learning from the members I meet, their experiences. um I've had some some amazing members in this weekend as well, um and you know, after we do photos, I. I think I was just talking to them like 30 minutes afterwards, just, just chatting and just learning about where they're from. Some people came in from Ohio. Some people came in from Florida. Some people were from LA. Some people came from Nottingham. So all these different people I kind of gathered together for, or to kind of do the class. But, you know, I, and I kind of was kind of the, what's the word? The, the, the catalyst. From, yeah. The catalyst just the one little bit of the catalyst but then they were connecting communicating with each other as well you know i i think you know us peloton structures we are we are sort of one element of something bigger you know and that's the peloton community you know you know our classes bring people together that's the first step within the community that's what builds that that's what drives me personally um
0: What I love about Peloton and shout out to them as a company and the culture is that they allow you to use your platform to talk about what's going on that's important to you. So when there was, and there still is like a lot of hate around like Asian culture and what was going on, you spoke out about it and Peloton supported you in that conversation. Um, What Was that hard for you? Because vulnerable talking about it. I read the article or the mm-hmm. post you said about your dad. And was that did you feel like you were letting people into something that was maybe you held on a little tighter to because that was a lot of vulnerability on such a large platform. So mm-hmm. props to you for talking about it like that.
1: Um you know it was yeah it's it's one of the experiences, like I said, it's one of the experiences the moments to kind of define a little bit of your character and how you see and how you see the world um you know i i think if i wasn't with peloton i i wouldn't have spoken out or said something just because i i think there's a lot of times especially as a minority when you do speak out and, and you do try and make a noise but no one hears you um and, and that's why i'm so grateful to be on this platform and you know I'm, and i and i take it with such honor and privilege to be able to speak and for people to hear me and and when there was a, a calling for you know this um stop asian hate thing of, you know that that was something of course i wanted to speak about speak to um and originally they kind of they they kind of um they asked me do, do you they they actually approached me and I said do you want to write something or say something about it um and originally it was just gonna be like a small like blog or article about what was going on so i and i said well why don't i just write about my experience um because like i said you you learn more from people's stories uh, and you learn more from people's experience um so i kind of tried you know i took people back to that experience when i was younger and 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 kind of that, that incident with my father in the park um and it was it was very hard because it, as you can tell, I'm speaking it kind of brings up those emotions now still. um even it was like I don't know nearly thirty years ago, and i I, I can still feel the fear, the the uncertainty, the confusion um, and uh, yeah, it's 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 still there, yeah,
0: but, but I'm sure by you speaking out, a lot of other people could feel heard or seen mm. because they might've had similar experiences. So maybe they don't have the size of the platform that you do, but at least your their version or a version of what they experience you could mm-hmm. speak on to, to raise yeah. awareness and hopefully create some more empathy and kindness mm-hmm. as well. I've also heard you talk about how you sometimes might be the first Asian male that kids might see because their parents are taking a class or they know your voice. Mm-hmm. Do you think about that, or because I would feel like that's that's a big responsibility in a weird way? Like you yeah. didn't ask for it, but it's kind of part of the whole experience.
1: Yeah, I mean it's the same thing. Is same thing is I to overthink it too much, and then it becomes a bit like daunting. Um, but then you know, on on the the other side is that, it, it, like I said, it's it, I I have I'm seen and I'm heard, and you know, and that's all. Us as humans want to be seen and heard, and you know, I'm, and it does happen. I think sometimes when um, people have a perspective of what an Asian male should be like, and a lot of the perspective is 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 kind of drawn through the media end. Um, so for me, my perspective is just being myself. So I, I. I tap into, you know, my nerdiness, my my love for musicals, um, you know, my infatuation with rock music, my 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 you know desire to wanting to be one of the back boys when I was younger, you know. So these are these are just character traits, and what can happen is what what can happen a lot is that when when you are you're not a part of these communities and Perhaps your circle is a bit smaller. Um, so there's something I always say at the end of my Asian heritage rise is that um, um, when, oh, what was it? when ethnicity becomes the focal point, it now is the lens in which you see the individual. So some people only see the people's ethnicity first. Do you see me and then it's once you do that it just closes everything off um so you know but that's what i love about peloton is 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 i i feel seen you know i'm 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 a coach who loves all these funny key, key things and i teach these classes oh and he's asian rather he's asian and he's you know yeah
0: yeah no i get that Uh, Mm. You talked about rock music, and one of the things I love about your classes is that you play, like, all different rock, 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Um, I'm a huge Stevie Nicks fan, and I see you throw in some, like, old-school Stevie Nicks, like, not Fleetwood Mac, which I appreciate. Mm. Um, But where did your love of music, like, rock music, come from?
1: So my love of rock music um, came from the Beatles. My dad used to have a, had a Beatles record, and he used to play it all the time, and I used to listen to it. So he had the, he had the Beatles. He had um, Bob Marley. He used to play it all the time, and uh, he played a lot of Lionel Richie. So my my dad's like musical like thing is is all over the place as well. So you know, I was just listening that growing up, and you know, I I just love I just love live music, and just seeing these musicians come together in their own little section of what they're doing and just create like masterpieces and that. And, you know, I I love rock music because, you know, if you go back to like the Fleetwood Mac and, you know, the the Van Halens, the music, the song is not just a song or the message is, it's an experience. You know, the music takes you on a journey. Um, the music takes you on a journey, which I love with rock. Um, and, you know, lots of other um, genres do that as well, but especially rock for me. Um, you know, music today is great, but the songs are very short.
0: It's like, the same experience.
1: Yeah, it, it, there's a message, but there's, there's no kind of experience there. And, you know, if you listen to Field Mac, you know, they could be playing a solo or something like two two minutes and you just transcended somewhere else and that's that's the beatle music it transcends you somewhere else um but when I was into the Beatles and then I you know got into Bon Jovi, Guns N' Roses, Def Leppard and then um Van Halen and you know Zeppelin and I kind of I kind of went back. So I I kind of my, my music love for rock was kind of in the 80s, 90s. And then I kind of went back discovering all the artists who had influenced the artists I'd loved going back and back. And it kind of always kind of went back to the Beatles as well. <laughs> so, yeah,
0: no, absolutely. And like, when you think of today's music, you're never going to get another dark side of the moon or Zeppelin IV, like those kind of, or hotel California, where those songs like make you feel something and they're the concept, uh, conceptual albums and tell these deeper, richer stories. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely something I miss in music which is why I think I go back to the 70s and mm. you know rock out to that um I want to be really mindful of your time I know you're super busy but I just want to say Sam thank you so much for everything you do not only on the bike but off the bike I have loved taking your classes I do it weekly multiple times a week and I just really you do such an amazing job and your words are so inspiring so I just wanted to Thank you. Before we wrap up with the final three questions,
1: thank you. When I, whenever I'm on the platform, oh, you know, it's a relationship. So it's a relationship with with. That's why I think this is a relationship. And you know, with, with fitness, with with everything, the most important thing in a relationship is trust. So that's the first thing. As soon as i sit on the bike, you know, it, I've got to kind of feel that you trust me. You know, it's it's like when you go to a um, you go you go to a, um on board an airplane sometimes, and at the door sometimes the captain's there, and you see him. He kind of says, "Welcome aboard," and you know he's very calm. He's very focused, and you know, in a sense, he's very kind of very zen like, isn't he? So okay, I sit down. I'll trust that person. And sometimes I kind of feel like I'm that. And that's that's me. You know, you know, you're on board the, this plane that's gonna take us to some pop or rock or something. you know it's in hopefully instilling that that trust in me just to go along and sometimes people don't realize that they've got a pb because they're they're so you know focused and and they 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 trust that what what i'm doing and where i'm taking them um so yeah because if if you got on board on the plane and then the the pilot was kind of jumping all over the place going hey you know you bet okay this is a bit funny right
0: Yeah, yeah, you'd be like, Am I going to be okay here? Yeah. yeah. No, you definitely get that. And you feel that through the screen without a doubt with you. It's a very trusting, um, accepting relationship. So thank you. Uh, I end every episode with the same three questions. The first question is if you had a quote or a mantra that you live by, what would it be?
1: So, what I live by is I am a disciple of a better me. You know, it's, it's like we've been saying, you know, there's so many moments and experiences in life that are, you know, opportunities for growth and, and just really kind of being aware of when that happens. Um, even when the moment's passed, you know, it's, it's always looking back at that moment. This is what I learned. This is how I can grow from that, that, that experience. You know, I think we, we learn most from our own journeys, but sometimes we are con- constantly um, comparing ourselves to other people's. And that could be very toxic for us, you know, mentally, you know, our mental health that way, you know, it's it affirms the idea that, you know, I'm always growing and growing from and through my own journey. You know, it, I find it really grounds me knowing that.
0: No, it's beautiful. The second question is, if you could relive any one day, which day would you choose?
1: <laughs> There's so many, actually. Um so the so the one the one day that I would would choose to to relive or the the one kind of moment was um when I was about twelve years old I was uh in a game playing football for my my school and it was it was the cup game and our our team would would, would led the game one zero for most for most of the game but then the other team they scored in the 90th minute so the 90th minute is literally that, that's it. So they scored in the 90th minute, and we went to take kickoff in the, in the center. And I don't know what came over me. So I told my, 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 my friend that passed the ball to me. Um, so he passed the ball to me, and from the center line, I took a shot and went over all their players, over the goalkeeper, and into the net. Wow. It was, it was so surreal because it was i i is one as well, at that moment i knew what i had to do and i knew me doing it what the outcome was going to be even though it, if someone told you it would it would seem outrageous but yeah it was it was so surreal and you know we, we won the game we won the cup but it was it's just i, I can't explain it it's, it's, i knew but this is what i had to do um yeah and i scored from the halfway line which is very, very rare. Um. <laughs> yeah,
0: I love that. That's like, I'm from Chicago. So that's like your Michael Jordan final yeah. buzzer when winning the championship. Yeah, I love that. That's a great memory. Um, The final question is, if you had a theme song that played every time you walked into a room, which song would you choose?
1: Oh, there's so many, but it would have to be, um, Stan Bush, "The Touch" from the animated film *Transformers: The Movie*. Okay, why? Just because when when you hear it, it's it's one of those '80s montage things. Like you know, it makes you feel like you can do anything, and uh, the chorus is so catchy, and it just takes me back, takes back being a kid um, watching. That's one of my favorite movies. Watching that movie over and over again, and you know, I think nostalgia is a great way of us to kind of. Break from our adult life because, uh, you know, when we were younger, things seemed much more simpler, and we can enjoy just being ourselves and and just enjoy enjoy just just being in the moment. And, and I think as adults now, we're we're constantly worried about the future and 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 worried about things that happened in the past. And I think as a kid, I never had that. And it's, it's you know it's a great song and it was a great film and I. And I when I listen to it, it gives me a, a joyous feeling Feeling, and I'm sitting on the couch again, you know, 10 years old, watching this movie.
0: Well, I'm going to add that song to the For Your Listening Pleasure theme song playlist on Spotify so listeners can hear your theme song along with everyone else's. Sam, thank you so much. This has been such a lovely conversation. I appreciate you being so open and vulnerable, talking about your experiences and I look forward to many more amazing classes and playlists with you on the bike. So, thank you. Thank
1: you. It's been a pleasure being here. Thank you so much for having me.